Hey everybody, welcome to the Cantori Show. Great to be with you. My name would be Chris, and uh, well, this is our show. And today we're talking to Steve Padilla, council member, former mayor of Chula Vista, diagnosed with uh, COVID-19 back in March. It's like an OG, one of the first to uh, come forward with COVID, and he's going to share his story, which is pretty insane. We'll, we'll do that momentarily. I also want to remind you that you can subscribe to the show Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and then I do the show with my better half, Meryl, up on Patreon, and uh, we put that show up there every Thursday, and certainly consider subscribing on, on Patreon as well. want to thank our sponsors, Alexander's North Park. What's up? Great Italian food right there on 30th, and uh, went down there for some curbside pickup. Even got myself a bottle of red wine. Oh, they were incredible. Just the nicest staff on the planet. Got some pizzas, linguine white clam sauce, some mac and cheese. It was the best. Also want to thank Baja Bound Mexican Auto Insurance. If you find yourself headed south of the border, hook it up at BajaBound.com. There's nothing better. And finally, March and Ash. Marchandash.com, San Diego's premier cannabis dispensary. They also have curbside pickup. They have delivery, or you can go check them out in store. Their facility—it's like it's like walking into a Nordstrom. And uh, they're located in Mission Valley, Vista, out in Imperial County, coming soon to City Heights and Chula Vista, I believe, which is where we could find or you could find Steve Padilla here, the uh, former mayor of Chula Vista. 2002, 2006, here to discuss his fight, COVID-19. This is insane and hopefully will inspire some to take it more seriously if you don't. Okay? Steve, it's it's great to talk to you it, for many reasons, I'm sure you, you, you can only imagine. Uh, you know what? When you realize that you're vertical, uh, you can enjoy a sunset at the beach, uh, which I couldn't even do a few months ago. Um, you know, everything becomes relative and you really think about you think about just the joy and the gift of life and, and how to try to live it, you know? And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, compared to many, I'm doing really well and I'm really, uh, really grateful for that. Try to remember that every day. Yeah. How much, uh, different do you look at life today than you did, uh, before March 15th? You know, it sounds like, it sounds so cliche, right? Cause everybody says, Oh, you know, but I, until you, I mean, when you really are faced with something, that unpredictable and sudden, you know, it, there's an element of shock to it, right? Things sometimes, at least in my case, they happen so quickly and I got so sick so fast that you, you don't have time to really process it other than kind of intellectually. You can't really, really process it emotionally. It's like you're kind of in shock a little yeah. bit and things happen, you know, but um, it does when you come close to leaving this place and um, you come to kind of realize that and ponder that, particularly afterwards, you know, really, at least for me, uh, was a very emo deeply, deeply emotional, reflective, um, you know, experience. And it made me think a lot about all those things that, you know, so many of us that get so busy in our daily lives that we just forget to, to take in, yeah. take in those moments. And so I've done, a, I've done a lot of thinking about that, but, um, you know, it's like, okay, you, you know, you got another shot at this gig and, um, <laughs> yeah, that's how I look at it. Right. Like You're it's right. part two. And, and I've always been kind of a civic minded, you know, community active political kind of guy, but it really made me 
uh, reflect on, you know, make whatever this, you know, part two looks like, make it really mean something. That makes total sense, even as it relates to our entire society. We have a chance to rebuild right now, and you only get one chance. <laughs> you got to do it right now. That's right. Sometimes in some of the most challenging moments, whether it's personal, you know, or as a community or as a society, maybe we find an opening. Maybe we find a real silver lining, you know, that forces us to think about things. You know, in my case, um, almost not coming home really forced me to think about my life in, in deeper and newer ways. And, and the, the experience all of us are having and going through at every level, um, yeah. I think maybe will make us all think about things that we sort of not addressed and, and that we really need to. Couldn't agree with you more. Now, as it relates to um, finding out that you were COVID-19 positive, can you tell us uh, what the process was like, how you did find, find out initial symptoms? What, sure. what was it for you? You know, it happened rather quickly in that, you know, like uh, for so many of us, you know, this whole coronavirus thing started out, you know, as a scary news story on CNN, right? right. Something happening on the other side of the world. And then you would see these, you know, periodic updates about, well, it's, you know, it's in this community or here. And then it's, you know, coming to our shores and then it's, you know, people on a cruise ship and all of that stuff. And in my in my public life, I'm really really lucky uh, to serve as chairman of California's Coastal Commission, which is, you know, a, a labor of love for me. And um, the commission, as you well know, tr you know, meets once a month up and down the coast of California, dealing with issues of coastal access and protect protection and regulating land use in the co on the coast of California. So it's um, it's a lot of work and it's a work I love. And, and I was, being a surfer, I just wanted to interject. Thank you for the work that you do. We try to get it right, Chris. We don't always, but most yep. of the time, I agree. You know, we're, we're trying. It's a lot of work, you know. But um, I was heading up to Santa Cruz in March. The hearing for commission was in Santa Cruz yet, month, so I was going to fly up to San Jose. But you know, on reflection, to be honest, not to bore you to tears, but it seemed like I was trying to catch this thing because uh, I had was scheduled. The, the commission meets three days a week, so it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, starting on the 10th of March. It was a three-day hearing in Santa Cruz. I was flying up Tuesday afternoon, but the weekend before was rather busy. I had met a group of uh, friends uh, for drinks out uh, in the neighborhood. Uh, sure. We were actually a place called Flicks in Hillcrest, so there's a plug when it reopens. <laughs> um, and there was, like, there was like a group of 10 of us just loosely hanging out, having a couple some drinks and and of the 10 of us, five got COVID Damn. and two got pretty sick. I was sick. So that's 50%. So that's suspect number one. And just that's hanging out in the hard. bar, just interacting, talking hanging as out, you would. Having a drink. Yep. On the patio, just chilling, you know, having a good time. And then Sunday, you know, being a political type that I am, I had, I had an event in La Jolla. It was a brunch actually for Victory Fund, which is a pro-LGBTQ, you know, political organization that supports candidates all over the country. Out of that community, so it was a brunch, you know, and everybody's like, you know, huggy kissy. And, you know, we're having like a buffet, you know, self-serve meal. Sure. And we're all sitting around. <laughs> And then to top that, so, you know, we have, we have the, the socializing with friends where half of them got sick. Then we had the event on the weekend. Then I flew to do the Santa Cruz hearing, but I flew through San Jose Airport. And, oh, by the way, I found out the same day I flew through that airport, 
a bunch of their TSA agents all tested positive for COVID. Holy cow. So it was like, without even realizing it at the time, this was all sort of retrospective. I was basically on top of everything else. I was flying into like the epicenter of where it was in California at the time. Yep. So I'm up. I'm up there at Coastal, and we, you know, we think we got it together, right? Like every five minutes, we're announcing the state guidelines. Everybody try to separate, you know, don't touch the mic when you come to testify. We're wiping it down between every speaker, you know, cover your cough. You know, we're doing the whole nine yards and didn't have a clue. We know we didn't know as much as we even know now then about this virus. So by Thursday afternoon, I started feeling crummy, came on like snivels, cold, then it rapidly progressed to just like, oh, God, I'm getting sick and I feel like crap. And by Thursday afternoon, I just sequestered myself in my hotel room in Santa Cruz, didn't come out, called my called my uh, colleague, the former chair on the commission on Friday morning and said, take the hearing. I can't do it. I'm flying back to San Diego. Flew back home Friday the 13th. And between then and the following Tuesday, the 17th, I ended up on three separate trips to the emergency room at UCSD up at Thornton Hospital up in La Jolla. And, you know, the worst flu I've ever had, I, you know, they tested me first, right? And then it was like, you have COVID. They tested me for, for the influenza virus, AMD. He said, the good news is you don't have influenza. The bad news is you have coronavirus oh. and you have to... <laughs> and it would literally the county at the time I was like the right, can we flip that around yeah can we flip that around I'd rather have the flu but you know the whole nine yards the order in the mail the knocking on my door calling me constantly about tracing you know who have you talked to it was really bizarre because you were so early on <laughs> you were you were like the first person public person that I personally knew COVID positive and then we started hearing about you getting admitted into the hospital and that's when I took concern and I can't imagine how frightening that was for you especially when we didn't know what we know now and even what we know now is daunting and frightening mm, it happened quickly I mean it was between that Thursday evening up in Santa Cruz when I felt crummy and literally it was one week later because I was admitted to the hospital finally on Tuesday because my, my oxygen saturation levels were dropping. I had a very high fever. They admitted me to the hospital. And literally a week from that Thursday night, I was in the ICU and put on a ventilator. Jesus. So within one week. And I spent I spent 11 days. Um, I spent nearly two weeks in ICU. I spent 11 days on a mechanical ventilator. And what do you remember um, from that period? Anything? You know, it is, I do have some pretty crazy sort of semi-delusional uh, uh, memories, not all of them pleasant, uh, because, you know, you're basically kind of in a drug-induced coma, right. um, And but they do bring you out periodically uh, to kind of keep, you know, prevent kind of long-term Brain damage. Damage. And, you know, it was a, a, yeah, blend of my, blend of my surroundings and then being on some pretty wicked drugs, you know, and like... Wow. And so I had some interesting um, delusions. Um, you know, it perceived some interesting things that weren't happening, but most of the time I was just out of it. And I was back in ICU for a couple of days and then, and then back to the regular hospital for a few more before they released me. So I can't imagine how frightening that was for your family. You know, I have an amazing daughter and son-in-law who it, it breaks my heart when I think about what they went through, but they were 
so amazing. I mean, my daughter, you know, had to manage just her own emotions. And particularly, apparently, there were some some scary moments when it wasn't at all clear that I would ever get off that ventilator. And I, I can't imagine what that was like for them. You know, in, for me personally, I was, you know, I was completely oblivious, obviously, but they were oblivious to the fact I might not survive. And dealing with that um, just emotionally. And then also, you know, to kind of add a layer, you know, dad's a public figure and there's press and there's folks interested and, and having to deal with that Ugh. on top of it. I mean, she, she handled herself and they both did uh, just in an amazing way. You know, and I, I lived with them for six weeks when I was discharged uh, because um, I couldn't be alone. So, um, I'm pretty. I'm pretty lucky. She's she's a, a pretty amazing young woman, and so is my son-in-law. And I'm I'm just so grateful for him. Did you um, ever have a moment though? Because you you keep stressing how it happened so fast. Was there ever a moment where you did think I might not make it out of this? As you, while you were coherent before you were induced into that state. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, on reflection, it's. Um, you know, it's pretty heavy to think about. I mean, you know, I, I knew I was, you know, what happened is you start kind of, it becomes more and more difficult to breathe. And with, you know, and I'm, you know, my oxygen sats dropped to the low nineties. And I think even at one point below that, and which is not good. And, um, I was respirating very heavily, very quickly, you know, trying to breathe. And so what's interesting is I don't really remember that even though I a lot about the first day and a half in the hospital before they put me in ICU before they, I don't remember being brought into the ICU, but I do remember, you know, talking with the medical team there was a, and I had some of the best care and I was really lucky and talking uh, about intubation and what that meant. Um, and of course my first, you know, question was, am I going to wake up? And I knew intellectually, I mean, you know, being the professionals they were, they focused on the benefits of it, which is look, you know, your body is spending every ounce of its energy just struggling to breathe and it has none left over to fight this virus. And so we can't let you crash, you know, into a really acute respiratory distress because then you risk all these other organ failures and you could die. We've got to, you know, breathe for you. So your body spends all of its energy fighting the virus. And that was the theory. The real debate since then has been at what point do you intubate a COVID-19 patient? I right. think they're thinking now. And there's so much controversy around that, right? Yeah, because but certainly when I got sick in mid-March, it was like intubate a little earlier, if you can, to avoid getting in that scenario. So I knew intellectually, yeah, I knew that this, I was very sick. I knew what they were going to do and I wanted them to speak to my daughter. I remember the last conversation I had with her uh, before they intubated me. But again, it was all, I was so sick Yeah. and it was all happening so fast that you just, I didn't have, I, I could process it intellectually. I didn't have the time to process it emotionally. I knew I had to be strong for my daughter. I knew I needed to focus I knew to the core of my being and my soul that I was coming the hell home one way or another. Yeah, buddy. You know, <laughs> I am, whatever happens, <laughs> I am leaving this damn hospital. And um, I'm, you know, you know, uh, whatever your thing is, God, providence, the universe, good karma, all of it. Um, I think I took that into that sort of situation with me and it never left me. And, um, 
you know, uh, wasn't all pleasant. I lost 30 pounds in about two weeks, just never left bed, you know, sure. uh, and just really went through some time when I got, when I got discharged and came home in early April, I could barely walk. I mean, literally could walk, couldn't walk. I mean, my, my son-in-law had to literally hold me up. Um, and which is so frightening um, to hear. I mean, we're basically crazy. the same age, you know, we're the same age uh-huh. going into this. You, uh, I'm sure didn't feel like you were at any heightened risk of getting put into this position. And here you are. It's, it's been emotional for me. I mean, I remember, you know, they came and told me they were taking me out of ICU, putting me out on the floor as they say. Right. And I'm like, goody, you know, getting out of ICU, right. which is pretty intense. And of course, like any hospital, you know, they're like, okay, some people are going to come move you, you know, fairly shortly. And of course, in a hospital, fairly shortly means any time between now and the next six hours. And so, you know, I'm laying there and I'm just kind of staring up at this big screen TV in front of me in my room. And it's all media. I'm watching like CNN and it's a report about this surgeon in New York City who died in his husband's arms because he went to work, volunteered to go to work. To yeah, help I remember that story. The crushing patient. Line. And then there was another story about the high school sweethearts where the, the husband became a Catholic school vice principal in like New Jersey and coached baseball and football and they had young kids. And uh, the wife played their wedding song on FaceTime to him as he passed away. Die. And, you know, both of these guys are like, younger than me and you know maybe in better shape than me when they went in and you know chris all i could do is i just laid there in that emergency room and just wept it was like it was surreal it was like you know at that time particularly it was like this orwellian nightmare like right the world is shutting down you wake up in the icu you almost didn't make it you know there's nothing but nonstop reporting about you know others who didn't People who didn't, and there's yep. no rhyme or reason to it. You know, people, younger people, older, of every description. Um, it's, it's, and it's still, that's why, you know, I keep saying every chance I, every time I get a chance, uh, whether it's through media or any other platform, it's like, listen to people who have medical degrees, um, listen to science, care enough about our community and each other to take care of one another and just be smart. And that's the the reason why I had you on and have you on right now. Well, I'm grateful. Any chance I get to tell people, you know, my daughter and I, when we made on my first trips, you know, when you're when you've been in a situation and you're you're basically sequestering with your family and you get, you know, a trip to the grocery store is like a big, you know, treat, like a big deal, like woo, we get to leave the house, right? And of course you're in the house. Walk the dog and do something, you know. So we were in line at the grocery. And there was a lady in line, apparently, ahead of my daughter, was in front of me. And she was telling the grocery clerk about how this is all a big hoax and it's a big conspiracy and she's never met anyone with COVID. My daughter, you know, who can take care of herself, wasn't having any of it. And she was really containing herself from not just, you know, going off on this person, but she was very polite. And, you know, and she said, ma'am, you know, I don't mean to... You know, I didn't mean to eavesdrop, but, but I couldn't help but over here. And I just want to introduce you to this man. And he's my dad. And he was on a ventilator for 11 days with COVID. And he almost didn't come home. And believe me, it's real. It's very, very real. And uh, But still is shocking the amount of uh, misinformation, uh, ignorance, uh, irresponsible behavior 
that's out there. It's crazy. Couldn't agree with you more. It, it troubles me that people still to this day do believe that it's politically motivated and all these things that are attached to it that I just can't even process where it just takes our eye off the ball, which is why your story needs to be elevated and heard as much as possible because I feel like it gets lost in a clutter of Tom Hanks is in Greece and he's no longer a U.S. citizen. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I can't. You know, and we do, you know, what I've learned, you know, I'm, I'm still, I, I'd like to think of myself, I'm sure you too, as a relatively young guy still, but yeah. you know, we're not 20 anymore. But, but, you know, one of the things I've learned in my life about human nature is when people are scared uh, or they don't understand something, it's really it's fascinating how people deal with that. And you see it take shape, you know, make many different shapes, right? And one of them is just flat out denial. Um, one of them is making a, you know, is willful ignorance, you know, to make a choice. And I'm going to believe the earth is flat, True. you know, because it makes me feel better, right? Whatever. Uh, I can cope better if I believe the earth is flat um, or whatever. But, you know, it, people do that. The mask falls right under that, both those descriptions, not wanting to wear it because they don't want to feel repressed, but then they also see the mask and it just reminds them of the reality that we live in. Right. Right. And it's, and you know, it, it, it hasn't been too often, I think, in it, well, certainly in my life, where we've had to deal with something that we can all be exposed to without regard, race, color, gender, sexual orientation, political affiliation, where you live on the planet, that there's no therapy for, there's no cure for, there's no vaccine for. You know, certainly, you know, the LGBTQ community experienced it during the early years of HIV AIDS. But again, you know, people, sadly, at the time, it took many years for people to care because they weren't personally affected. True. This is a global pandemic. Uh, this is something that, nobody's immune to no pun intended and uh so you know as we look on tv and we see those numbers getting bigger and bigger every day i mean not in the united states it's it's shameful and tragic we've now passed i think we're we're more than twice the number of people who died in the vietnam conflict now uh just in the last few months have died that's not a good, you know, batting average. No, I and lost my godfather to the Vietnam War, so. If we do it right, we can get through it, um, but it's not going to be easy. Do you have hope? Because I feel like a lot of times uh, when it comes to a lot of our public figures and leaders that they don't have uh, many hopeful words to share. Always have hope. Hope is what gets us up every morning. Um and and hopefully we're grateful for every morning and and I sure as hell try to be. And that's what moves us. You know, we've, we as a society and as a community have faced a lot of scary things throughout our history, uh, in our times, in our parents' and grandparents' times as well. And, um, you know, we, we do live in a world where the world is small, where information is instant, uh, communications are global, and since the world is smaller, and we're used to getting things instantly. Yep. We could take a lesson from our grandparents and our great-grandparents who, who, who had their own times of real sacrifice and, and learned to be patient. Um, this will pass. Um, you know, we need to keep banging away about how to act in a smart way, in a way that cares for one another, and understand that the time we will learn more and more as time goes by, as we have, 
about good therapeutics, about ways to keep, to reduce the death rate about a vaccine. And then when that vaccine becomes available early next year, I think most thoughtful people in our country will be vaccinated. And it will become less of a threat. Now, like all things, I don't think it'll ever completely go away. Is there always going to be some knuckleheads out there who say, you know, uh, the vaccine yeah. was manufactured by aliens, you yeah, know, it's Bill Gates CIA, and, and got yeah, microchips and in us now. <laughs> yeah, and they're trying to do something. You know, yeah. Like I said earlier, there are people who think the Earth is flat and 6,000 years old. Doesn't yep. make it so. Right? Uh, I agree. So, but I think most people want to do the right thing, and I think that that if we can just hang in there and, and help one another and, and be aware of one another and see the humanity in one another, we're, we're going to get through it. And uh, do you have, just because you mentioned treatments, I'm genuinely curious, uh, the recent talk about the hydroxychloroquine, do you find that to be a distraction or do you find there to be some truth and it's worth exploring? I, I think I know how you're going to answer it, but that's kind of why I asked the question. No, I, well, first, uh, disclaimer, I'm, I'm not a, a medical expert, but I, I do, uh, you know, I try to listen carefully. And all of the information that I have heard, seen, read, researched by medical professionals, uh, including Dr. Anthony Fauci and many others, are that the science tells us that most of the appropriately controlled research on that particular drug, on the hydroxychloroquine, indicate that it has either no impact or in many cases can have a negative impact uh, on folks who are using that as a way to try to intervene in COVID. So, you know, I certainly wouldn't, uh, I'm glad they didn't try that on me. Um, uh, 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 but and that's why uh, I wanted to ask because there's somebody yeah. who's listening right now that would say that you took it and that was the reason for your survival. That's why part of the reason why I did want to ask as well. You know, I was lucky, Chris, in that I had good supportive care. I was I was on a ventilator. I had more tubes. And, you know, I had a feeding tube. I had countless IVs. I had arterial catheters in my arteries measuring. I mean, I had, I was poked in every place possible, conceivable and everything was done for me for a period of time. And that, that's quite something to contemplate or even adjust to when you kind of wake up. It's, it's not a pleasant experience, but, um, they supported me. Uh, they kept, they breathed, they kept me breathing. Uh, they kept me stabilized with all the appropriate, medicines that I needed. They uh, fed me through a tube into my stomach a little bit. Um, they, they took care of all, all of the necessary natural functions. But you know what? There was no therapeutic. There was no medicine. There was no magic pill. Anything. I, no magic pill. M my body, thank God, my immune system fought the virus and took care of it. You are and, a true my survivor, my friend. Holy cow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah. And luckily, there's no real long-term, you know, knock on wood, effects. I mean, all the cardio stuff looks good. The lungs look pretty good. damn good. All the here, all the, all that post stuff looks good. And of course, they send you after a period of weeks to go get more COVID tests. I had to have two separate COVID tests on separate occasions, and both had to be negative, which they were, um, before I could even like go to my medical offices in person to get blood. Sure, drugs. of course. You know. 
but you had to get kind of cleared. So, you know, yeah, I'm one of the, I'm one of the lucky ones. Well, I can't, uh, even begin to tell you how glad I am that you're, <laughs> that you're still with us. I'm sure you feel the same way and, and your family, but I was one of those here in San Diego that was following you this process all along in rooting for your survival. And when I found that you were out of the hospital, I, I felt a personal victory and just so glad that you are here able to share your story and also enlighten others, especially those who might think that this stuff isn't real. So thank you for your time, Steve, what you're doing in our community. And if I can ever be of service, please keep me in mind too. Okay. You know, Chris, if I can just say real quick before we close, because of those, first, thank you for that. And second of all, uh, all COVID patients, not just me, uh, one of the added layers of difficulty here is because of the virus, very isolated. And when I was in very bad shape in ICU, I was very isolated. I couldn't have anybody come see me, no family, no friends, nothing. And, um, but I tell people, I tell my family, I tell friends, I tell the community, I may have been isolated, but I know I was not alone. And I wasn't alone in there because I felt all of those good thoughts and wishes and prayers and karma from all over that were sent my way. It was overwhelming what I experienced when I got out of the hospital. Uh, people I'd never met and people I hadn't seen or you know talked to since high school. Um, it was pretty emotional and pretty overwhelming. So thank you because, again, I was isolated, but I wasn't alone. Amazing. The Cantori Show. In the light and uh, sharing your story. Appreciate your time. Absolutely, Chris. Anytime. Be well. Back at you.